Hey, good afternoon or morning or night. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, it's What's the Plan Monterey. Found at whatstheplanmonterey.com. And to lead this way, uh, week off, I'd like to remind everybody of a story uh, about, or not remind everybody, possibly introduce everybody to a story about a, a Pacific Grove resident who works at the Post Ranch who <laughs> happened to dr- fall 400, drive his car 400 feet off of a cliff at Hurricane Ridge. Hurricane and he Point. found himself at, at the bottom of this cliff, uh, Dan and Mark. And, and, uh, he was there with, uh, so I think he had minor injuries or, or some not life-threatening industry injuries. And he was there for like a day or a day and a half. And my question to Mark and Dan this week to start the program off is, well, maybe not for Dan, because I, I know Dan, he travels with a full set of, uh, philosophical books and philosophical treaties. So he uh-huh. would probably spend the time reading philosophical works, but Mark, how would you spend a day and a half sitting by your wrecked vehicle at the bottom of a 400-foot cliff waiting for a helicopter to come rescue you uh, in the, on the, along the rugged Big Sur post, uh, coastline, and you wouldn't have cell service or a cell phone, Mark. What Boy. do you think? Uh, well, first off, I think I would have been wearing my seatbelt because I, I read that yeah. the guy went through his sunroof, so he must not have been strapped in. Okay, so I would he been, goes to church. Yeah, that's all I can say. I would have been wearing my seatbelt, um, and uh, you know, I usually always have stuff like water and snacks in the car. So I guess I, you know, would have had a little bit of food and so forth that I could have sustained myself till help arrived. But I was thinking about this. I read that story on the front page of the of the Carmel Pinecone about this. And the the you know the genesis of the accident is the fellow swerved to avoid a deer in the roadway, and that caused him to go over, and he didn't want to hit the deer. And I can understand why, because like some people had said, "Gee, why didn't you just run over the deer?" Well, you know, it depends on how fast you're traveling, but you run into a deer, and uh, it can kill you. It can really damage your car, and if it's a big deer, uh, you know, it can go through the windshield and it will kill you. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how fast he was traveling, but um, I have had experience with wild animals running in front of my vehicle. And just back uh, a few months ago, I had an incident on a Sunday morning on Carmel Valley Road. Um, I was driving out there. It must have been like 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. And it was at twilight time where, you know, it's not super dark, but it's not light enough. And I was going probably about 40 or 45, which is about 10 miles an hour below the speed limit. And something in the flash, like out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw something brown. And the next thing I knew, I heard of like a just a you know bump, something hitting my car violently hard right up where the um, uh, the driver's side headlight is. Okay, and it smashed in the the fender and the light and, uh, you know, part of that area of the vehicle. And I don't know what it was that I hit. I don't know if it was like a mountain lion or if it was a small deer or what have you. But I do know it was like six hundred and fifty dollars in, you know, in repair work for the car. So the the next time I was uh, shopping at um, I was over at Walmart and I was just you know, nosing around their uh, auto parts section looking for some oil and some other things. And I saw that they had these anti-deer whistles that you could install on the front of uh, your car. And these yeah. things, its they're not very expensive. They're about we had 10, them in Colorado. Yeah, yeah they, they're, they're basically plastic things that the air from driving causes the whistle. Uh, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah there, there's, there's two of them. It's about 10 bucks. And uh, they just affix on to either the bumper or the grill, and they have to be a certain amount apart. One of them is an open whistle. The other one's a closed whistle. And when you're driving at least 35 miles an hour, they produce a very loud 20,000-cycle whistle that apparently makes you know, deer and wild animals go in the other direction because it really hurts their ears. So I put, uh, I put those on, on both of my cars. And, uh, you know, just yesterday I was, I was driving somewhere around here and there were some deer on the side of the road and I was going about 40. And the next thing I look at them and they turn the other direction and start running up the hill. So I guess these things must work. So, so what you're saying is I can put these on my car, drive through Pacific Grove over 35 miles an hour, and if I get stopped by the police, 
I can say, hey, I was trying to make the whistle work. So, I'm so trying to keep the deer away. The way. I'm, I'm trying to get. I'm an animal lover, and I'm here to save the deer. <laughs> you know, Dan, that's a good defense. Uh, yeah. But but Dan, what would you have done? I know if you weren't well, concussed by the the volumes of uh, philo- philosophical journals that you have in your car, yeah. what would you have done at the bottom of a cliff for 35 well, hours? I, I actually, I've, I've hit a deer, sadly enough. I'm going down uh, one one time over by um, uh, Del Monte Center. Just mm-hmm. said, and I jumped out. I mean, I couldn't I didn't even see it until he hit the car kind of thing. And big buck and actually, you know, ran off. But, um, you know, it's weird. I, I wonder how bad the guy was hurt because if I was only 400 feet down, I'd start crawling up, you know, I'm not going to wait for anybody. I know it's kind of steep and scrubby and stuff, but I figured the worst I can do is get scraped up some, scratched up some, but they're going to know if they find my car, they're going to kind of know if I'm not in the car, odds are real good. You know, I'm going toward the the road. So, but otherwise, if, if I was immobile and couldn't, or that wasn't realistic, I, I just would probably sit there and, scan the sky waiting for someone to show up and hoping that somebody that knew I was down there uh, called in the powers that be. You know, it's amazing, though, how often stuff like that happens. In fact, they found another vehicle when they were looking for this right. one. Right, right, did. How often this happens? If you're by yourself and you're leaving L.A., uh, say, and I'm going to drive up one to Monterey, you know, and nobody's expecting you, you know, some, you know, lone wolf kind of thing, but you, good luck. You know, that's why you always, whenever you go somewhere, especially by yourself, but in the backwoods, anywhere where it's a a danger, always tell somebody where you're going. You know, it's, you know, a lot of trailheads, I know in Boucher's Gap, they used to always say, hey, you know, check in with us, and if you... You don't show up again. We know uh, there's a problem. Well, interestingly, he was thrown out of the sunroof. It sounds like, and he broke his leg. Yeah, that was he bizarre. Didn't, he didn't climb up the hill. But I, as uh, you may or may not know, I graduated, and, and I think I told you once, and you said, "Oh, that's what's wrong with you." I'm speaking about Dan. Said this about me because <laughs> I graduated with 16 people from a small rural Colorado <laughs> high school, and one of my classmates, I we would have been 17 of us. But one of our classmates uh, drove off the road. We had all had summer jobs at this like old mining town where they did, you know, like mine tours. And, you know, it was it was it was kind of a ridiculous little town, but uh, it's called Central City featured in um, uh, on the road with Jack Kerouac. He stops in Central City and does what he does. But a very hippie, hippie town. Now it's a gambling town. But our my friend there, Darren, he had uh, he drove off the road and he had his sunroof open. Uh, and he basically didn't have a seatbelt on and bounced up kind of like this guy. And the sunroof had hit him on the back of the head Ooh. as his car flipped and killed him. Um, and yeah, we, we had actually, yeah, it's kind of a tragic story from, from high school, but, uh, me and my uh, friend Bo were the first ones there. We found oh, him and, uh, we thought, we thought he was okay. Yeah. So it was a hor- horrific thing. Uh, you know, I was like 16 at the time. So, you know, we were just all learning how to drive and, oh, uh, okay. We found him and, and like we thought he was he looked good. Like he looked fine when we found him because his car was yeah. upside down, but obviously it'd been hit in the back of the head so severely that it uh it it wasn't good. So Blood wear your seatbelts, folks, and pay attention. Yeah. It was Yeah, it was pay awful. attention, especially if you're on one. Years ago I was with a friend of mine who was uh, distraught. He had just broken up with his girlfriend, you know, and how people go on and on about it. And he's driving and you know, Dotson and we're driving down the coast. And he's going on and on and not really pay attention. And he knew the road well. and But all of a sudden, we were on a turnout going for the guardrail. Oh, no. And he slams on the brakes. And I'm looking at him go, you know, maybe we ought to pull over. And either I drive or you, uh, you simmer down a little bit. I mean, talk about just your life flashing in front of your uh, well, I, I like to imagine it as a, a carefree journey 400 feet into the abyss and then getting to spend a day and a half by myself camping on the Big Sur coastline. But it probably wasn't that desirable for that poor hey, fellow. Hey, you know what? That guy is lucky. That, oh, very lucky. Uh, well, he's, not only is he lucky, he survived, but while okay. he was waiting there okay, overnight, he was very lucky that no wild animals 
came along oh, yes. and decided to have him for dinner. Okay, because <laughs> That's true. here's here's a guy that can't really move. His car's messed up. He can't defend himself. Um, you know, there's <laughs> there's all sorts of all manner of uh, of wild critters in Monterey County that will yes, you know, there are. that will have you for lunch. Let me tell you something. I was working up on. Uh, on Alisal Peak on the backside of the Bengard Ranch a couple weeks ago, and I was with the tower crew. We were driving up the road, and we saw a wild boar run across us, a really big one. I mean, this They'll guy, have you for lunch. Yeah, probably like 300 <laughs> pounds. Yeah, they would have you for lunch. But actually, he was munching on the remains of an elk that had gotten its head caught in a, uh, oh. in a barbed wire fence. And, oh, wow. and so either the elk died there or was helped along by a mountain lion or something. And uh, over a period, you know, I get up there quite often. Over, I, I get up there maybe once or twice a week. And this was like maybe three weeks ago, right? You know, you could, you could see the elk's head and the whole body. Today, all that's left are some bones from the rib cage. Wow. Yeah. So, well, Mark, Mark, you do, you go to these remote locations all the time, and I don't yeah. want you to end up like that elk, my friend. So, yeah. so call a friend before you go. I know you're always off on some windy peak or crag fixing some outdated <laughs> uh, radio equipment. So, so take it easy out there. Well, thank but, you. Uh, shifting gear, let's get to uh, some hot Monterey news. I thought this was really interesting. So, this is something I stumbled across was uh, about Hans Usler. Um, oh, yes, he, he gave a talk in Monterey and he actually said something I find incredibly refreshing and I'm not sure that the city council or the mayor would agree with him here. So it's weird. And and Dan, I know you have thoughts on city managers because a lot of people, and I would tend to agree that the city manager is the hammer and the people and the city council and the mayor are the hand that guides the hammer. But what Hans says here is is somewhat controversial, subtly controversial, but interesting. He says, we don't have a revenue problem in the city of Monterey. We have a spending problem. Right. And we're spending much on too many assets. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this. This is like what I would kind of quaintly call the free condom problem. Right. Because like governments give away free condoms, but the sidewalks are cr- screwed up or the, the light, street lights don't work or whatever else. And it's like, why are we... Why are we this octopus with 15 tentacles? Octopuses only have eight tentacles. Right. But why, why instead of just getting the, the basics right? And that's kind of where he goes with that is he was basically saying we're building like all these rec centers, the fire and police departments, the library, and these. Like every time we build something, it's insane how much it costs to maintain. And I very much sympathize that as an engineer. And he's just like we keep building stuff and keep doing more and more and more. This you know We keep giving out more condoms. But forgetting that we have to maintain all this stuff that we're doing, all these social programs and everything else. But uh, and, and it could be, you know, just even staffing the right. well, that's basically the, big the cost. regulations and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, I, I saw that story. I just want to jump in here quick. I saw that story in the Monterey County Weekly. Hans Usler, who's the city manager of Monterey, gave the state of the city talk, which I thought was really interesting. That and it and it kind of buttresses your point, Paul. That you know, in small cities like Monterey or PG. It's the city manager who's the real power because in, in other cities, like in San Jose or San Francisco, big cities, it's the mayor that gives the state of the city address. But this one is the city manager giving that address. And um, there were interesting points. You know, when he said, you know, we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem, I thought I was listening to John Kopal, the head of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, speaking because you don't normally hear somebody who's in local government. Uh, you know, using the kinds of words that uh, taxpayer advocates use. Yeah, What's that's interesting, too, that I found is that he doesn't mention the sports center in any way, shape, or form. And talk about a thing that's got to be costing a freaking fortune over there. Uh, I can't imagine it's paying for itself. But the funny thing is when he says the existing police and fire headquarters next to City Hall have a top-line estimate, I don't know what that means, crystal chandeliers or something, of $150 million. Stop. My goodness. <laughs> there's, there's some contingency built in there. I don't know what they're building. I don't know, Government you know contracting. <laughs> how big this city you know, facilities needed, if they're taken over from the sheriff's department or what. But that's absolutely insane money. And, and 
you, then you read stuff like one of the problems is, you know, that we can't build, a, you know, I'm going to say, a pickleball facility at Ryan Ranch because we have other things like sewage backups in the police station. Well, I would suggest you replace the pipes, maybe, you know, rotor rooter it once in a while, a little lie down. Like, you know, I have 90-year-old pipes in my house, for God's sake. Police station in Monterey has been built since then. And they got peeling paint in the fire stations. Now, I don't know about you guys, but almost every time I go by the Monterey Fire Department, the the bays are full of their trucks. Right. So, like most fire stations, the downtime of firemen is incredible. That's why you go into most fire stations, and if you see the living quarters, i.e. sleeping quarters for the guys at night, there's workout stuff, there's big screen TVs, there's all this kind of well, stuff. You know it's, I have a lot of not doing anything. You paint the damn thing, guys, just like you wash the trucks. Paint the damn station. Go scrape the peeling and paint off and paint it. I have a lot of thoughts about this because I have friends who are firemen, and I think we have the NFPA to blame. It's kind of like if you ever go look at the um, those cottages that John Steinbeck used to live in over on Cannery Row, and you look at them, and they're it's like, well, this would never pass modern code because there's you know there's not an outlet every six feet. There's no water in here. The you know it could burn down for Christ and. And so modern code is the enemy because the reason you don't have cheap housing now is because modern code is in large part because of all these codes of, of things to comply right. with building standards. And the reason that firemen don't have a lot to do, Dan, is because of the NFPA, because structure fires are very, very rare nowadays. And a lot of the firemen are acting as uh, basically EMTs. Right. And there's a requirement of, of like a certain response time. So they have to have the fire department because of the requirement for the response time. But it turns out there's not a ton of them, just so they're going to a lot of heart attacks and things like that. And it's, I know we're off on a tangent here, but it is, it's an interesting point. It's like, I think at some point, generationally, we're going to have to solve the fire department problem because we don't, you're absolutely right. I don't think they need to be staffed the same way. And if we want to keep the response times the same, I don't know, maybe something Joby's doing right now could save the day. Maybe they yeah. can. Yeah. Well, hey. Well, you know, yeah. with the with the Monterey Fire Department and this whole idea that he'd spend $150 million on a new fire station and police station, that's just a number that, to me, for a city the size of Monterey, is absolutely ridiculous. Because we're just talking about, we have one police station, and we're talking about one fire station. We're not talking about renovating the two other fire stations or three other fire stations that the city has, because... You know, don't they have, um, there's one over here in New Monterey down on Hawthorne. There's another one out yep. in Montecito, and I think there might even be a, a fourth one. Um, but at any rate, it's just one, and they're talking about $150 million bucks. And then you, you talk about, uh, the, the city manager mentions, mentions sewage pipes backing up. Well, yeah, trench out. Do what? Hey, we were just talking about the guy that, uh, you know, the successful entrepreneur that owns the um, First Awakenings restaurant. Let me tell you, when they took over that decrepit building on the corner of, uh, what is it, David and, and Lighthouse, which had been, you know, lately the Coco's restaurant, nothing in there had been maintained for probably 20 years. And they had to dig up the sewer line, they had to trench it out from the back of the building all the way to the corner of uh, Hawthorne and David. They had to, you know, it was like a 150 foot run. They had to trench that out and pull out the old line and replace it completely to connect to the main. Now, that was pretty freaking expensive for the guy to do that, but he did what he didn't say, well, gee, I need to build a new restaurant because the sewer line is backed up which is essentially what we're hearing from the city manager of Monterey. We need to build a new fire station because the sewer line is backed up. Hello? Yeah. Is he saying that? Because I think what he's saying is like, we need to stop doing things because it's so expensive to maintain things. And, you know, maybe rain, we have a spending problem because basically we need to stop spending so much because it's really oh. difficult to maintain what we already have. Right. Well, and we had, a, we had a councilman in Pacific Grove, a real bright guy who's a doctorate from MIT, I believe it was, Dan Davis. And he used to always say that we for Pacific Grove. We don't have any income problem. It's a spending problem. And even when you're, you go and uh, they do the state of the city 
you know, speech from the mayor. And it's like, we're doing great financially. And they just had a report in the city council. We're doing great financially. And not once do they mention that the city owes over $50 million to CalPERS, that we have a pier that hasn't been fixed, that we have roadways that are being undercut, that we have a, a trail around the ocean that just got wiped out that good knows if it's ever going to be built again. I mean, there's thing after thing after thing that's, you know, places where there should be cross or um, sidewalks, all sorts of stuff. And some of this came up with the, the idea of outdoor dining being outdoor dining without uh, large uh, places built, you know, parklets that you just, you know, redo the sidewalks. Well, whose responsibility is that? Well, it's the cities because we want to make everybody happy that wants to have outdoor dining. Whereas personally, as a, as a taxpayer, I said to me, if you want to increase your the size of your restaurant, the amount of people that can sit down and eat at any one time, that you're basically doubling it. How about you pay for it? As if you want that as an expense of business. You know, it's, it is amazing the things that government ends up paying for that they really yes, shouldn't. Yes, yeah. all the time. They just look at it and go, well, wait a second. I'm a taxpayer. How does that help me? You won't wait. come and fix, and I brought this up at the meeting, you won't come and fix my damn sidewalk. For five years, I've had a drainage problem because of work the city did, and they refused to, to come back and, uh, and have it redone, but they're willing to spend, you know, $300,000 um, for uh, three restaurants. To people, have people believe me, uh, people are complaining about it. Monterey County Weekly has a big complaint about taking down the parklets. But before we get to that, I would like to... I was on that uh, that intellectual, uh, the pinnacle of intellectual achievement, nextdoor.com, and uh, I uh, was reading, uh, Luke Coletti uh, had posted something I thought was really kind of cool. So he was basically posting links to the city of Pacific Grove's uh, like history of the founding of Pac Pacific Grove as like a as a church, like getaway camp. And then, then, then like the kind of the covenants of that getaway camp. And he was like saying, okay, this property uh, is for residential purposes only and will be allowed uh, to open. No one will be allowed to open or maintain any lodging or boarding house. And you can't keep horses here and you can't ride your horses fast and you can't play ball in the street and you can't, you can't like bathe in something that's not modest. And it was like all these kind of like typical like 1800s laws and it, but it was, it's our history of Pacific Grove. And it was really, and even posted a handwritten, like the handwritten cursive, like original version. And if you go on next door, you could probably get the link that Luke put there. And it was really, really informative. And, and then guess where next door goes with this again, the pinnacle of intellectual <laughs> achievement that next, <laughs> it's like, it's like, this is, you know, this is a completely anodyne thing that a guy posts a council member post that is, is kind of informative and interesting. And people like the, the snarky comments are nobody says only white people. You didn't put the part about where only white people could own houses. And I'm like, I wish I, I want to respond to everybody with the great words of Morgan Friedman. It wouldn't be an issue if you'd stop talking about it. But yeah. anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I don't well, know. Also, thoughts on they, this. I, I just thought my understanding and my guess here, and again, it's uh, educated guess is that you're thinking of Samuel F.B. Morris and the restrictions he did in Pebble Beach and the parts of Pacific Grove that Pebble Beach controlled, that he was not the Methodist retreat. So every time something, we were talking the other day at the council meeting, they brought we were talking about the housing element, and they were, again, proposing that we do the uh, schools. And one of these bozos on next door, you know who I'm talking about, Colleen, um, that goes on there and you say green, she says yellow. You say blue, she says black. You know, everything is just, she just wants to be contradictory on everything. And she, she gets on the council meeting and says, well, you know, uh, and we've been talking about the covenants. Well, the covenants for the school grounds are basically that they're used for education. That was how we got them. And there were there were the old ones, you know, back when, but they've been taken off that were about, you know, color and stuff like that. But they're not even on there anymore. 
And uh, she, of course, made it all about color. Uh, well, how should the why should they dictate uh, what's done with their property? Colleen, they own the property. Well, they gave it to us. Dan, Dan, I think I think if you if you look at the larger picture, what, what I and I would want to hear Mark's comments on this too because I think it's fascinating. It's like it's like if I want to go, I want to hire a historian and have them describe life in 1883 in every all like I don't know a half a dozen, maybe two dozen. A dozen points on the globe in 1883. I want them to go into excruciating detail and and for like you know like write a 5,000 word essay on each of those points, what life was like in 1883, and talk about and have them you know talk a little bit about slavery and racism and and quality of life and starvation and living conditions, and 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 then even bring it forward to 2024 because guess what I think and no I don't think this is an empirical fact. Where is the greatest? It doesn't matter your race, color, religion, gender. What is where is the greatest place to live on Earth by socioeconomic status or, or socioeconomic metrics? It's the United States. The Nigerian Americans do the best here. Japanese do the best here. Chinese do the best here. Everybody does the best here. In fact, Nigerian Americans I think do better than white Americans. So it's like I don't know what these people are talking about. It's like they're they're like a they're just in searching for a problem that doesn't exist. And it's like, yes, there are problems, but it ain't that bad. Like I, I think it, there are much, much bigger problems than than this. And in fact, by focusing on this, you're really a barnacle on the ship of society because you're slowing us down from solving the bigger problems. Mark, I'm sorry. Go ahead. About <laughs> where were we? I don't know. I went off. I was hoping okay. you'd talk about Luke Coletti's letters. And oh stuff. Yeah. well, you know, no, I I don't have anything to say about that. But uh, I, I did I did see something on uh, next door that was interesting. It was a mention that uh, I think Mike Gibbs posted it earlier, and it was that um, the former city manager, you know, Dan's favorite guy, had cast a uh, an eye towards the uh, the Goodyear Tire Store. Uh, across from the Safeway <laughs> and commenting, I guess he told somebody, I'd really like to replace that with a Panera. Well, <laughs> okay, now here's, you know, first off, why do we need a Panera in Pacific Grove when we have so many? Also, wonderful- not allowed in Pacific Grove. Right. We have, well, and we have so many. We have so many, you know, wonderful little bakeries here in town. But, you know, here's the thing. And this is this is what, uh, you know, I really don't like about so many people in government is the cavalier attitude they have towards private property rights of people yeah. that own property. It's, it's as if, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, Mr. Harvey, did the owner of the property indicate to you, hey, I'm tired of having a tire store in here and I'd like to tear the thing out and put something <laughs> different in there? Did the, do the owners of Safeway want to get rid of their store and replace it with affordable housing. You know, this is one of the problems with with people who work in government, that they have this idea that, uh, you know, they they look at everybody's property and they imagine, oh, well, we could just make something better there. You know what what they call that in really cool uh, societies like Venezuela? They call it appropriate, or uh, what do they call it? Expropriate. Expropriate private property, yeah. Yeah. So when we go full socially, you expropriate, yeah. Yeah, but at any rate, but you know, here's the the thing that nobody, you know, and and, I mean, come on, the the guy who's a city manager has to be smarter than this. But let's think about this for a moment. Um, Is a Panera bread store, whatever the hell it is, going to produce more tax, sales tax revenue to the city than a tire shop? And are they going to pay their employees better wages than the guys that work at the tire store? In both cases, I'd say the answer is no. So, you know, how how does that become a good idea? And especially it's a bad idea, Mark. Yeah. It's a bad idea. It's, but, but one one thing I will say about Panera, they have this uh, coffee subscription. So you, if you drink coffee there twice a day, you can really make some money on that. You know, it's yeah. like a, it ends up being like sixty cents a cup. So uh, well, they, I, I can't I can't cast that many aspersions towards Panera. But go ahead, Mark. Did you see the the story the past few days about Panera being carved out of the fast food required $20 an hour minimum wage. What? And it turns out that the guy that's, that owns all these Paneras throughout California, he's a billionaire, he owns a bunch of other food places, is a close personal friend of Gavin uh, yeah. God, this place is so corrupt. You, know, you made, you made like, me hate Sacramento more than I already did. It's, it's Thank just you, Dan. amazing. And let's now talk, since it's on our screen, the people, of course, can't see it, but about... Introduce the next one that's on. Oh, sure, sure. SB 961 was introduced by uh, 
our Dan's favorite uh, state congressman, Scott Weiner, uh, and aptly named, and one of our listeners, uh, Glenn Grossman, he's awesome. Love, love. Glenn's brings some great comments. He also brings it on Next Door too. So uh, follow Glenn on Next Door. Uh, he's he's kind of funny, uh, but he he brought my attention to this uh, this law, which I think is kind of interesting. It it basically says you can only go ten miles. They're going to ba- retrofit all cars and trucks with uh, these devices that makes it so you can only go ten miles an hour over the speed limit. So I suppose you'd have to tie into Google Maps, know what the speed limit is, or the car would, and then the, the, it would intelligently decide how fast you can go. So I'm sure this will decrease the price of cars and decrease the number of people who go to Nevada to buy their cars. Mm-hmm. But, but I could be wrong about that. What do you What do you think, Mark or Dan? Oh boy, you know this. <laughs> this will never work, um, and I, I don't think it's re- retrofitting existing cars, but it would be required on on new cars sold in California. I think this is dead on arrival. I just don't. And and really what's crazy about it is you get into the weeds on this type of a proposal, and it's not like a governor that stops the car at the highest possible speed. Like, let's say he says, you can't go more than 75 miles an hour because the speed limit is 65, or maybe you can't go more than 80 because we have some spots on, what is it, on I-5 where it's 70 miles an hour. But he's proposing a 10-mile-an-hour governor at every speed limit. So if it's 10 miles an hour or 15, that means you can't go more than 25. If it's a 25 zone, you can't go more than 35, and so on and so forth. So how do you... How do you do that? Uh, you know, the only thing you can do is to retrofit every speed sign or section of a street or a, a traffic signal with some sort of transponder that uh, communicates to these devices what the maximum speed is for that particular section of the roadway and will stop your car from going that fast. I mean, this is an idea how technically, I mean, I'm sure that. This can be solved technically. I'm sure somebody can design the circuitry that will do it. But the cost to do something like this will be so overwhelming. I mean, you know, just what it would cost the automobile manufacturers to manufacture some sort of receiver, wireless receiver in the car that's tied to the engine and the and the fuel supply and the and everything to to slow the car down. But then this network of radio transmitters send and receive that are located at various points in every municipality in every county in california how in the hell are you ever going to pay for something like this i mean this guy's a blithering idiot he obviously has zero idea of what it would cost to implement something like this and and he's probably not even very conversant in matters of technology because he thinks it's like something like magic that could just happen I agree. Hey, Dan, Dan, real, Dan, real quick before you respond, I put another uh, story up on the thing, but I do have to break out. So I'll let Dan and Mark uh, close this one out. But thanks, everybody. And Dan, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to listen to the podcast because I'm really interested in uh, your response to this. But anyway, okay. uh, go ahead. Sorry. So so my, my guess is this man spent way too much time on the Audubon in, uh, at Disneyland. You know, if... If you read road in those, I don't even know that they're still there, but in the day, you'd ride on those things. And of course, talk about governors, you know, you if you got over five miles an hour, I'd be surprised. So it's like he probably thinks it's that simple. You just put a, a little metal thing down the, the middle of the road and and it saw the problem solved. This guy is one of the biggest bozos. He comes up with all of these strange things with homeless. You know, taking care of the homeless that are just make no no sense. He's out of San Francisco, and he just everything that comes out of this guy. But he and he hasn't been up there long. He's been there like six years. He's already introduced seventy five pieces of legislation, and almost all of them. Like there's another one he has where Caltrans has to okay like every inter the design of every intersection. Well, like Caltrans has, does such great work, they had to redo Highway 68 three times in the past couple of years. They, 
the along Sunset Drive in Pacific Grove, for those that don't live here, maybe don't haven't seen it, they built this sidewalk so that the the Sunset Drive is ADA accessible. <laughs> but it's a sidewalk that unless you have a real powerful motor on your on your wheelchair, you can't get up the damn thing. And then it ends where at a road, one of the busiest roads in Pacific Grove, Congress without a crosswalk so it's like you end at the sidewalk and now you drop off onto a road without a crosswalk it's like did they forget the crosswalk did you know where something else at work here who knows what and and it's just you know the idiocy of his bills and acting like more government is good government just, everybody has to stop this idea that we're in this nanny state that the government has to get a, in involved in everything we do and um we need to start cutting it back and scott wiener i i have something for you to work on the uh, budget for this next year is 73 billion dollars over projected revenue 73 wow. billion Mr. wiener so think back to last year when uh, Gavin Newsom was in a recall effort and he sent us all checks because we had a surplus. So, and they just happened to come out just before the vote on the recall. Yes. So anybody yes. that thinks Gavin Newsom is an answer to the problems of the United States, let's get Joe Biden out of there. Let's get Gavin Newsom in. And I'm sure he'll probably introduce something for to get free hair gel for the rest of his life. But uh, right. Uh, and, you know, these charlatans that are involved in government, I don't know if people are voting for them because it's the lesser of evils or if people are just by and large ignorant as to uh, what these people are about. But the people that are being elected uh, in this city of Pacific Grove and some of the neighboring cities in the county, in the state, or just appointed by the geniuses in Marina, oh my God, <laughs> is a person who was basically run out of town for the ridiculousness of what she did in Pacific Grove, who I have a history with in a courtroom where she lost twice by judges saying she had basically lied on on filings for that. She got in trouble from fair political practices for filings that were untrue. She, as soon as her her uh, uh, term in PG on the council ends, she moves to Marina. And she's been there about a year, and the Marina City Council, who I now have zero respect, and that includes Bruce Delgado, who I helped get elected the first time, Bruce and all the rest of you clowns on the on Marina City Council to appoint Jenny McAdams to fill an empty vacancy is absolutely insane and right. ignoring a history of things, including committing a felony by filing a false restraining order that you know was false. So at some point in time, and I used to have hope for Marina, no longer used to have respect for Bruce Delgado, no longer, you know, I don't get where you people are coming from. Well, you know, well, you know all I, I can say. And for all the DEI and stuff, she's on the DEI committee over there. Was there not somebody that was non-white that applied for this? Or could you have gone out and maybe found somebody that was non-white? You know, but no, no. And But all her decisions now, she says, are going to be based on DEI. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Is that what we're clamoring for? That all the people in Marina are saying DEI. DEI at meetings? I don't think so. And if if she truly believed in that, she would have stepped aside, just like Wendy Rudaskew could have, stepped aside and let the other candidates who aren't white uh, be elected or appointed. Right. Well, Dan, all I can say to the, the four members of the Marina City Council that voted to appoint her is, you'll be sorry. Yep. You know, they, good luck. Yeah, good luck. I wrote yeah. something to Warren them, and they obviously ignored it. Yeah. Boy. And not one of them replied to me. So they it's doing? like, guys, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but, you know, start educating yourselves. 
stop living in your little enclosed bubble over there and uh, start, you know, for God's sake, the rest of us have to build, the Pacific Grove has to build over a thousand housing units here. You know, Marina's over there sitting there with more friggin' land than God, and uh, and the rest of us are penalized because they're over there doing goodness knows what. Right, exactly. Hey, uh, speaking of Pacific Grove, getting back to that, then I wanted to circle back to a Caltrans comment you made. Well, let me go there first, to the Caltrans. Um, it looks like the idea of of using adaptive AI technology to uh, control the, the signal lights on Highway 68 between Monterey and Salinas is getting some consideration from the people at TAMSI and Caltrans as an alternative to spending $250 million and 10 or 12 years to build like a dozen roundabouts between Monterey and Salinas. So, I mean, boy, is it ever rare when – uh, an idea that uh, you know could save a lot of money is actually something that that people seriously look at. But from what I understand, they are actually now really looking into this idea, and and some of the people uh, involved in the process are saying, "Hey, look, it'll only cost us like half a million dollars to try this, and if it doesn't work, then we can say, okay, it didn't work. We're going to build the roundabouts. But if it does work, hey, we've saved $250 million. That's got to be a good thing. Unless you happen to be uh, unless you happen to be in charge of the construction union. Yeah, for roundabouts. And, and the amazing thing is that came from somebody in the public. Yes, that's so, right. And, and what amazes me even more is they were listened to. Yes. And uh, thank goodness. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, AI scares me to, in a lot of ways. I mean, can you imagine if, you know, the, some little glitch got in or something, the havoc they could rock on that road? But, uh, but this is exactly the pluses of AI. If right. they can do this and it works and it saves all that money, there might be some people out of uh, work because of it but oh well so sad you know i'm sure they'll find something else to do with all the uh, money in, oh, listen, in california there's there's, there's yeah. always construction projects so oh. you know <laughs> we don't have to worry about Never. them missing a meal they'll be okay hey um yeah. speaking of pg uh, there was a story in there, and I was hoping we could cover this with Paul. But uh, what's the deal with the public library running its lights 24 7, 365? <laughs> Maybe that's why Paul left. So the deal is, I would drive by there. And in fact, I talked to Luke Coletti, and he, uh, who's a council member, and he brought it up a while back, which the article in the uh, Pine Code uh, brings up, but also brings up quotes from me. Because the last or the city council meeting before last, I got up and among other things I talked about was how the library on, you know, like four day weekends, like Thanksgiving and stuff, the lights stay on all like all the lights in there. Maybe there's like a bathroom that they're off or whatever, you know, some little corner of the library. But in general, all the lights are on. The entire four days of, of Thanksgiving vacation when the library's not open. Right. Every night they're on. You know, I've been by there at like midnight or something, coming back in town from somewhere. They're on. You know, it's just a it, They're on all the time, is what I'm saying. And I literally do not think they turn them off. And the Pineco wrote a story about it because they'd seen me, my comments at the council meeting and looked into it. And of course, our fine uh, deputy city manager slash uh, public works director doesn't know how much the bills are. Of course. At, Why? Why would you know library. that? Yeah. And the new library director who was just appointed, who'd been working there for a year, said they were just getting used to the place and they would, they're would they trying to figure out if, if something can be done. Well, I hope something can be done because this place was just redesigned and remodeled yeah. at a very large cost. So if there aren't rheostats in there or a timer that you can figure out how to use, like, you know, I'm still trying to figure out some of you know, my technology in my life, but still it's your job. You're paid very well. We have IT guys in this city. We have public works guys in this city. We have somebody needs to know how the heck to fix those lights 
So they go off when nobody's in there and they come on a little bit before everybody comes in in the morning. And then on the weekends, they, they, they're they not on. The last person out on, you know, the, I think they're closed now, what, Sunday and Monday. So right. the last person on Saturday that leaves, turn off the lights. Yeah, the last person that leaves every day, turn off the lights. The first person that comes in in the morning turns on all the lights. It's pretty simple. <laughs> You know, you, you, what can we do? Something needs to be done. You know, that, the, the, the stupidity of that comment from that librarian reminds me of uh, there's a there's a great far side cartoon from years ago where uh, it's a, uh, a business in a building in upper floors and uh, the place is on fire and the people are rushing around trying to figure out how they're going to get out because they're they're trapped. Uh, the the floor above them is on fire, and the floor below them is on fire. And the 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 workers and the boss they're all talking and saying, if there was only some way we could figure to get get out of here safely. And the name of the business is Acme Ladder Company. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's just like <laughs> these people missing yeah. the obvious. Turn off Isn't the that lights. typical? Yeah, uh, Forsyth had some great stuff. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't know. It's one of those things you would just say is the proverbial no-brainer. You know, you should be able to figure this out on your own. It's no big deal. But uh, also in Pacific Grove, and uh, I don't remember if it was you or Paul originally uh, brought this up when we were uh, texting back and forth, is the grill at Lover's Point uh, is – Basically, no more. Yeah, Joe Cavallero uh, retired. Well, the agreement ran had come to an end, and uh, my understanding is the city and him couldn't come to uh, oh. mutual agreeable terms. So he, instead of just walking away, tore everything out of it. Well, if it's so, all his stuff. Well, you know, to an extent, most leases don't, if it's attached to the wall or the floor, most leases uh, require you to leave it. And I can't imagine everything in there wasn't attached. But still, the thing is, negotiate with the city for what's in there. Negotiate for whoever gets the new contract. What Joe's going to find is either his garage is going to be full of restaurant equipment for a long time to come or a storage unit somewhere that he's going to pay three or 4000 a year uh, to store it. Uh, but it would have been nice... Uh, luckily, we're in the beginning of March. I'm sure by the 1st of June, somebody will go in there and open a place. If they won't, I will do it. And uh, because it's it's that um, that beach in that area is one of Pacific Grove's jewels. For right. goodness sake, it's one of the state's jewels. And uh, and part of what makes it cool is having a little place there. And Kevin Phillips, you know, who has the place, who has the bathhouse and the place under the bathhouse, will probably pick up some of some of it for those places. But I wouldn't be surprised knowing Kevin and how much he likes this town. Maybe I have to get hold of Kevin and talk to him. Is Kevin should go in there because oh. when Joe Kevin originally went in there, he owned was part owner of the Tinnery across the street, and they did a big push to get a long term lease there, and they were going to build it up and build it over, and it was just going to be this really cool place. And then he got the lease, and they never put a dollar into that oh, damn wow. place. You know, yeah, I, so, I seem to remember, Dan, years ago, it was either David Bindell or Joe Cavallaro, because Bindell was his partner. Yeah. Um, and so they had partners in both of them. Yeah, they had three restaurants. They had the Beach House, they had the yep. Tittery, and the Little Grill. And one of them said that, you know, just because of you know, the traffic patterns and what you can expect to do business-wise, that the only way to make money down there was to have all three. You know, you know to make the, the yeah. sit-down sit restaurants work, you really needed the grill because the grill was like the only one of the three that was like busy all the time, that really generated a lot of revenue and kind of helped make the whole thing work. And so yeah, it was like an economies of scale kind of thing. Right, right. And, and the whole thing, because I was on, on uh, one of the negotiations, I was on the council, but part of the thing was uh, the Tittery people could always make sure it was staffed and there was food there and everything. Well, but then Cavallaro lost the bathhouse, lost the Tittery, 
and he was down to the grill. And granted, you know, he was getting older. I'm sure wanted to wind down a little bit. Probably was easier for him. But it was a little money maker. Yeah. And never got as a city out of it what we should have been getting uh, while he was in there. I thought we should have been out of there. Ten, you know, that we should have put it out for eight or ten years ago. Just like the bike, the bike. Uh, rental stuff, the Surrey rental stuff, the kayaks on the beach. You know, we have so many assets in this. The, the uh, speaking of which, the um, the grill down at the golf course, which the agreement when there was a fight between two people that wanted to do it was, well, we're going to be open till late in the night. So the city uh, signed a lease for that place, like most of their leases, where it's just a percentage. There's no bottom line. Wow. So when they started not making money on di- dinner, instead of renegotiating or coming back to the city, they just started closing a few hours early. Right. So you go down there now, the restaurant at the grill at the golf course, people are still golfing and stuff coming in from their rounds. They're closed. Right. In fact, I went there one day, played golf, came off to go back on the other nine. We were still going to play nine holes not only were they closed and locked up but so were the bathrooms Ooh, that's not good yeah when you're a 68 year old guy and you've been out on the golf course already for over two hours you kind of want a bathroom there because the next bathroom is like eight holes later you know down at crespi pond so uh so that's one of the problems with the former city manager is he would get these buddies of his into these leases and this did this at at uh, the golf course got her in there and uh uh she had just gone out of business with another restaurant and she go went in there and uh is not doing hardly anything that's in the agreement it's just like you know the farmers markets the same way you know there's we people come in and promise them oh we're going to do this and that and the other thing and it's going to be wonderful and great and then if you have a city manager that doesn't watch over it and doesn't hold their feet to the fire to the agreement, uh, then you have a problem. And the former city manager refused to answer me why they were allowing uh, the person at, at the grill, at the golf course, to be opened literally 20 hours less a week than they were required to. And since their rents, a flat percentage, I think it's 6% now, of their gross, if they sell one drink in those 20 hours, the city gets more money. Right. They might be losing because of their overhead, but the city gets more money. So you want to cut back your hours, we're going to raise our percentage. So, Dan, going back to the grill, you know, you, you're saying that you might go in there. What would you do with it? Essentially the same thing that Cavalera was doing? Yeah, you know, it's it should be like a burger and hot dog place. Uh, you know, ice cream cones or soft serve kind of thing. Uh, personally, I would uh, work into one of my favorite things because I used to do a bacon festival. I'd work in bacon um, and have that be a prime thing, you know, like bacon sandwiches, bacon on hamburgers, things like that. Get someone like Tony Baker, who has a great line of bacon, who I did my last bacon festival with. A great guy and great bacon. He's uh, got a shop now over in Marina for anybody that really likes oh, good bacon and high quality bacon, and uh, and just make it you know a little more upscale than what it was. Joe, you know, bought all his stuff at the, well, I don't know if it's all his stuff, but I'd see him over at Costco buying most his stuff that he served there. So it's not like it was some uh, great, uh, incredible thing that he was putting out there. But, um, and, and I'm not a restaurant guy. I always, in my previous life, was a nightclub guy. But um, I want to see it open. And hopefully, again, I, you know, Kevin Phillips, to me, is one of the great operators there's ever been of restaurants, and et cetera. And, you know, he's a, a PG High grad. So hopefully, uh, Kevin, for his love of that area down there and already having two places down there, that, you know, he's the kind of guy that, that I think... I, I'd be incredibly surprised if he uh, wouldn't uh, go to you know go to the city, come to terms, and and open a place there. He's, he's a real good guy, good operator, and would be such an asset to to that space down there, which is just so incredible. Yeah, and we really do need that because that is uh, it's it's so convenient for people. 
that go down to Lover's Point to be able to have that there. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had a hamburger or a sandwich or whatever from um, from the grill, but it was always just great having it there. And and so I hope that uh, that something can happen down there where somebody can reopen that and uh, you know and get it going again. Well, so, something will. If it's not Kevin, it'll it'll be somebody else, and if it's not somebody else, it'll be me because I it needs to be there. It's, that's just such a community thing there. You know, one of the things that that I don't know that it hurt Joe because he's you know there and he doesn't have much overhead and stuff. But believe it or not, the losing of uh, the Feast of Lanterns. I mean, he made enough in a day <laughs> to make his overhead for the year. You know, right and. Losing the Feast of Lanterns down there, again, unintended consequences. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, run through the debate of Feast of Lanterns again. But, uh, you know, one more possible casualty because of it. Right. And one thing that makes it less attractive to go in there is that you had that day. It's kind of like it's selling Christmas trees for pumpkins. You know, <laughs> right. you got that little bit of your fireworks. You know, you got that little you know, pie, a piece of the pie where you can do it and do well, and uh, and it gets taken away from you. So, right. uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But one way or another, it, it will reopen. Right. I have no doubt. Hey, anything else that uh, you want to mention before we wrap things up? Uh, you, you know, Mark, there's always other stuff. But I, I think uh, in a lot of ways, uh, maybe next time we'll talk about, because uh, it's not – you know, and incredibly important right now, though I think it's actually on the agenda next Wednesday for the PG uh, Council meeting is discussion again about district elections because the state at the cities uh, being threatened again by LULAC to right. um, to uh, that if they don't go to district elections, which somehow they have a concept there's in Pacific Grove that there's an enclave of Hispanic people that are going to you know, will get elected, but somehow we can carve out that district. So they will. And the funny thing is, and, and Kelly Nixon, his article this week, and I've said this to him before, I think he might have uh, remembered this, is it was funny when this PG school districts went to election, uh, uh, district elections, that the one guy on the board who was Hispanic, all the other four people are white as white can be, the one person that was Hispanic uh, was up for election when they went to districts, and he lost to a white woman. Yeah. So, so much for your district elections, <laughs> guaranteeing you somehow that you're going to now have Hispanic uh, representation. And he was a real good guy, yeah. Frank Garcia. Just, uh, no, Garcia's not right. Well, here's the uh, thing that, that no one really mentions at all, that the, uh, the, the real problem to me with district elections is that when you go from at-large to district – you disenfranchise. Everybody gets disenfranchised. So in Monterey, we have five members of the city council. I can vote for one, and I can vote for the mayor because that's still at large. So I can vote for 40% of my representation, whereas previously, I could vote for 100% of my representation. Now, in Pacific Grove, because you have seven people on the council, including the mayor, it will be even less. You will you will have two out of seven offices. So I think that all voters are treated very poorly by district elections because your voice no no longer matters. Your vote no longer matters in every other district, and you no longer have the opportunity to vote for or against these other candidates that... um, you know, they could be good or they could be bad, but you no longer have a voice in the say. And and to me, disenfranchising 100% of the voters is really not a good thing. And I just, you know, we're, we live in such an ass-backwards world that somehow this whole idea that we have to have district elections because certain groups of people are being excluded, and nobody seems to ever say, yeah, but we're— we're hurting, you know, we're, we're excluding 100% of the voters because we're not letting them have a, yeah. have a say in all the other races. And that, to me, is just ridiculous. Yeah, Frank Rivera was his name. Okay. He's a teacher at MPC. But, uh, yeah, and then in, in Kelly Nix's story, the funny thing is, too, and this is what we were talking about, about follow-through and city managers and doing the job they're supposed to. It, it, LULAC previously in 2022 – 
sent a, a, you know, you better letter to us or we're going to sue you. And the PG City Council voted to spend $50,000, according to Kelly Nixon's reporting, to spend $50,000 on an attorney for a two-year review of the city's options. It's not clear if the review was completed and if so, what the recommendations were. So either Ben Harvey put it under his arm when he was going out of town or it was never followed through on. Wow. You know, so... You know, the absurdity of that is incredible. But, you know, we don't necessarily have to shrink down to five people, though I don't think that's a bad idea. But going to district elections, it's like you say, that's the biggest problem is when they did the school election, two people were elected. I couldn't vote for it. I couldn't vote and I couldn't run because you have to live in the district that's up for election that year. So like Frank Rivera, who got voted out, or lost the election, whichever way you want to look at it, can't run for another four years oh. because his district has to come up again. Right. I you can't. Know, yeah. So there's some real problems with it. But again, you know, do you want to get in a lawsuit over it? Uh, Monterey's become, their councils become very strange. Uh, and part of it's the district elections. Uh, my guess is that, you know, it, it just, I'd rather see, if I had my choice between district elections or shrinking the council down to five, I'd shrink the council down to five and still keep it all at large. Right. But we just had a vote on that and the people voted against it, I think, because the thing was written bad and people didn't really understand it. And if we vote yes, are we voting yes or are we voting no to the shrinkage of it? But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with it. I think, personally, the council is going to do just what the school district did, which is going to be so fearful of a lawsuit, um, they'll capitulate and uh, go to district elections. And it'll be interesting to see if they also say, hey, we should go down to five, five seats, too. You know, it, uh, and also watch the most interesting thing that happens in these is watching the people that are in office mickey mouse around so that they stay in office oh yes you know not in another another person's uh district so they don't have to run against another incumbent and one of them's going to lose kind of thing i watched it on the school board i'm sure the same thing will happen you know with the city so it'll be amusing well now now here here's what i'm waiting for is when lulac goes to carmel and tells Carmel that they need to have district elections in a city that is. And by the way, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the demographics of Carmel from the 2010 United States Census. Thirty four hundred. Let's see. The population is three thousand seven hundred and twenty two. The racial makeup in Carmel by the sea. Thirty four hundred and sixty four white. That's ninety three point one percent. There are eleven. That's 0.3% African-Americans. There are 8.2% Native Americans. There are 111, 3% Asian, and 6.2% Pacific Islanders, 45, 1.2% from other races, and 77, 2.1% from two or more races, Hispanic or Latino, of any race were uh 174 persons, 4.7%. So I'd love to see uh, LULAC justify why the city of Carmel is going to need to go to district elections as if, uh, you know, there's there's somehow they're keeping, uh, you know, minorities from being elected in Carmel. Uh, I don't know how many oh. districts you'd have to come up with for yeah. uh, for someone of minority <laughs> to be elected in Carmel. Well, but, you've got to have the same amount of people in each one. Yes. So it's not like you're going to be able to gerrymander it so that you have one that's all Asian or all black or whatever. And in Kelly's story about PG, he says 77.9% white, 11.3% Hispanic or Latino, 8.5% Asian, 0.8% black. And what's funny about that is we recently, uh, recently, it's been three years now, one of the worst people I've ever seen actually in government, and I know I say that a lot, but it's true because there's a lot of those people. We voted to be a trustee on uh, MPC's board. Oh, yes. A woman who is black, lives in Pacific Grove, has for decades, and 
her district encompasses all of Pacific Grove, part of New Monterey, and part of Pebble Beach. And, and somehow she was elected. Well, at the time, you know, she had name recognition. People knew who she was. She ran a campaign, whereas the person that was running against her, who I think would have been a stellar person on the MPC school board, because she actually was a president of a large junior college up north, uh, she lost. And she was Hispanic. Wow. So the person with the 0.8% beat the person with the 11.3%. <laughs> And uh, it got elected. And, um, you know, so it, it can happen. You know, it's not like it doesn't happen. People have to realize we've moved on in, the, in this culture. We all, you know, we've elected a Barack Obama president, for goodness sake. You know, so when I say we, it's the pejorative we. So the, so when you look at at uh, at candidates i personally i don't care man woman who you have sex with what your religion is remember when john kennedy who wasn't going to get elected because he was catholic right my yep. goodness you know it's like i don't even really know what joe biden is i think he's presbyterian or some darn thing he probably doesn't remember what he is but uh you know it's at some point in time people have to really and i think it's now that people are looking at i would just want you to be a good representative of me and what i believe instead of your cause and that was the problem with the person that we elected from your it's her cause and not representing the people of pacific road i there were times when i was a city councilman or person that i voted for things that I didn't like because the majority of the people who I was elected to represent wanted something differently that, you know, wasn't necessarily what I wanted, but it was what I knew they wanted. Right. You know, and so it's it's a real tough line. By the way, one of those things that I did wasn't wild about was plastic bags, The you know, making us all get plastic bags at the grocery store. And um, and then everybody said, well, you can't just have uh, paper bags because of all the trees that will have to be cut down. Study just came out. There is more waste from plastic bags now than there ever was before. And it's because they made them thicker and stouter than they used to be. <laughs> so they're being, and people still don't have them, you know, don't use, you know, the, the reusable ones, as I brought up at the time, the reusable ones uh, always have bacteria and stuff in them. Right. And it's a large percentage. It's like 90 something percent of them have bacteria in them. So think about that when you get sick. It might be because you use reusable bags and don't wash them after you've had, you know, meat in there or something for a while. Good boy. So, so it's kind of funny. The unintended consequences. And by the way, I, I ended up coming around and voting for it, but I pushed for 10 cents a bag instead of a quarter. They say, oh, some incredible. There are some stores they say now are making a profit. Get this, folks, 200 grand a year. Some stores are profiting by being required to have charge you for those bags because the money you pay for those bags doesn't go to the government. It goes to the store. Right. So they're selling their two-cent bag to you for 10 cents, and you're required to buy it. Yeah. You know, crazy, crazy stuff. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up here. So this is Thank exactly, you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you, Paul, wherever you may be. <laughs> He's Dan. I'm Mark. Paul uh, had to take off, but he'll be back with you next week. And remember to check us out on the website, whatstheplanmonterey.com. Thank you, Dan. Take care.